Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Mark. What a song. Before I begin my sermon, I kept one announcement because I knew there would be a few more of you here when I got up to preach. I don't want anyone to miss this one. I don't know if you know this, but since our last directory, we probably have a couple hundred, not more than a couple hundred, about 300 plus new members and others have transferred in and out and all these things. So we actually are going to be doing a new uh, pictorial directory. Seems like the right time. It, this fall is our 75th anniversary of this church. You're going to be hearing more about that as well coming up. And we thought, well, it would be a good time to do a new directory. As when we look at the old directory, uh, and now Marilyn was our, our last pastor from that that staff that was in that picture. Um, I mean, we love looking at Jerry and Sean and, uh, and Pat Morrison. When I open that page, if you open the page and try to call them, that'll be fine, but you won't, won't get them. But of course, we have Mark on the team as well, and he's in that picture as well, looking as young as ever. And by the way, Mark, we're glad to have you back. Mark was gone last week. There you see his hand. Glad to have Mark back. And we want to just... We should really be praising the Lord that Mark is back because Mark uh, crashed his bike on Blue Mountain. If any of you are from the Grand Terrace area, you know that place. And uh, he was hobbling pretty bad yesterday, but now he seems to be better. He, he, he tried to rescue a live bear that had his head stuck in a plastic jar. He touched the actual bear as a baby bear. You never know where mama's at. Um, but, you know, he's that type, much of a humanitarian. And he wants the message to go forth. Don't throw your litter in the woods. Right, Mark? And, uh, and also he, uh, he uh, rescued a motorhome from a burning Jeep. And uh, so he had a quite adventurous time. So that he is back. We are rejoicing truly. Amen? Uh, um, and so, so we're glad. But he, of course, was in the picture as well. But, but it's time for us to have a new directory. So for the next three Sabbaths, not starting the Sabbath, but... Next Sabbath, begin next Sabbath, and the two Sabbaths after that, we will be taking church pictures. And so we hope that you will plan on being a part of that, uh, and that you'll be arranging all that. I'm sure you'll hear more next Sabbath. I said next Sabbath. <laughs> I said next Sabbath. Where we, did I say next Sabbath? Yes, next Sabbath. We're beginning next Sabbath, and the two Sabbaths following that. So August 20th and the 27th, and I don't know what the date is after that. September 6th. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, I can't count seven after that part. So anyway, so we will hope you will all be a plan to be a part of that. I wish we had done it today because my wife and I matched. Um, she, she and I both wore blue and pink, so we should have done it today. Uh, but I guess we'll just have to match again on a future day uh, coming up. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy towards us. Bless us as we open your word in your name. Amen. You can open your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. 
So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the city, uh, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. I believe it is our responsibility and our privilege as Christians to be Philip's and to be Andrew's for Jesus Christ. Come and see. Within this, this text, there are a number of practical applications for us in our regards to our witness as believers in Christ. First of all, we should acknowledge fully, first of all, we should acknowledge fully that there are people that come to Jesus without any involvement of another human being. There are people that just, that just on their own, with the Holy Spirit working on their heart and, and, and through dreams and messages, connect, they connect with Jesus without our involvement at all. That might be the story of Philip, Philip coming to Jesus. We don't see anybody else interacting with Philip, and yet Jesus meets Philip and appeals to him, and Philip decides to follow Jesus. But in most situations, a lesson for us in this story is that in most situations, Jesus involves humanity to reach humanity. In most situations, Jesus involves humans to reach other humans, which means this. It means that if, that if Jesus is going to reach your very friendly neighbor, or maybe your not-so-friendly neighbor, or if Jesus is going to reach that family member that, that you're praying for, that you've, been, that you've been appealing to. If Jesus is going to reach that coworker that, that seems open to a conversation about God. If Jesus is going to reach, uh, uh, if Jesus is going to reach that friend that has walked away from the Lord, maybe that high school friend that has walked away from the Lord and you just would long for them to return to Jesus. If Jesus is going to reach these people more likely than not, he desires to use you and I to do so. Now, that may be bad news to some of you. You may wish, man, I wish you could find someone else. But you're the one. You're the believer. You're the Christian connected to them. And so more than likely, he would like to involve you in the plans of reaching those individuals. Another lesson that we learn from this story is is the people that, that it seems most likely that we are to approach or to reach first. How many of you like to knock on the door of a stranger? Go ahead, raise your hand. I can't believe it. There was no hands in first service either. This is, this is unbelievable. No, none of us, myself included, like to knock on the door of a stranger. It's just something that's not natural to us. Some of us do it anyways, and, and we thank those of you that do, uh, that do do it. I know that our brother was here earlier, and he's a call porter, and I know he does it, and we have uh, uh, some that do do it on a regular basis, but, but the majority of us don't like to knock on the doors of strangers. Well, guess what? 
In this context, that is okay. Because the biblical evidence seems that more often than not, the person that Jesus calls you to reach and calls you to witness to and calls you to influence is somebody that you already have a relationship with. The evidence seems to suggest that, that, that oftentimes Jesus calls us to start with the people that we already know. In verse 40 of the scripture here, it says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And then verse 41, notice what it says. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. And then verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. He first found his own brother with Philip. We see that Philip went back to his own town, Bethsaida, and he found Nathaniel, probably someone he knew from growing up in that, that small town. And he went and asked him to join them. Jesus is more likely than not, not going to ask you to necessarily immediately go and knock on the door of the stranger. He may ask you to do that at some point in time. But, but initially, more likely than not, Jesus is going to ask you to reach somebody that you already know, that you're already familiar with. Another lesson from this, from this passage is this. When we invite somebody to come and see Jesus. We invite somebody to, to some aspect, some event where Jesus is going to be uplifted. Just invite them. If they have opposition, don't try to argue them into it. Don't try to, to debate them. Don't try to, 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 to wrangle them in or coerce them in. Just, just invite them. The Bible tells us, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, just this, come and see. Come and see. Now, I don't know about you, but I know my own personality. And if I'm really excited about something and I go and I share it with somebody and they push back, my immediate response is to want to what? Say, no, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying. I don't think you get what I just told you. Philip said, we just found the one who is the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't, I don't think you heard what I just said, Nathaniel. Would you just get rid of your cynicism and listen to me? I just found the Messiah. No, he just says, hey, come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. He doesn't try to argue or to convince him. I think this is a good lesson. It's probably a good lesson for all Christians, but I'm a Seventh-day Adventist and I know what 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 faith practice I grew up in, this might be good for us to understand this. Let me tell you a true story. It's not in my notes, but I'm going to tell you the story anyways. True story. My friend told it to me at Southern. He graduated a few years before I did. I won't say his name or uh, the name of his friend that I'm going to tell you the story about because I guarantee you that most of you would know both of them. So I'm not going to say that, the, who they are. But my friend tells me the story that one time they were at Southern and they were there at chapel. Chapels at Southern take place on Thursday. And immediately following chapel is pasta day. And everybody goes to the cafeteria at Southern on pasta day. And there's always long lines. And people want to get out of chapel quickly so that they can get in line first and, and do all these things. And there was this gentleman that was there. 
Uh, he didn't tell me who it was, so I can't even tell you who it was that was preaching. But there was this gentleman that was there, and according to my friend, who's also a pastor, informed me that this guy was a really, really bad preacher. And what he was saying was making no sense. And they were sitting there, and they listened to him, as they're supposed to do. And he comes to the end of his message, and all the kids are thinking, pasta, 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 pasta. You know, and get me out of here. I want pasta. And just let me turn in my card. And the preacher says to them, I have a feeling, I believe that there is someone in here that needs to make a decision for God today. And he said, so I want to give you that opportunity. And they said, he said before, all this, before these 1,500 students, so I just want to invite you right now, wherever you're at, just to stand up and to come forward. If God's impressing your heart after what I've shared with you today, I want you to stand up and I want you to come forward for this appeal. That, that part would have been totally fine. No one moved. 1,500 people, it was just the, a pastor's worst nightmare. I've been in that position before. Any other pastors been in that position before? You make an appeal and everyone just looks at you. I've been in that position before. No one moves. So he does what often happens, you know. I know it can be, he starts to tell them, I know it can be a nerve-wracking decision for you, but um, I, I just want to give you that opportunity. I believe there's someone in here that needs to make a decision for Jesus and, 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 and needs to come forward. So I just want to encourage you at this time to, to stand up. Just don't worry about any of your friends. Don't look around you. Don't see what your friends are saying or what they're doing. I just want you to stand up, and I want you to come forward. Just wherever you're at, just come forward. I'll meet you right down here in front. My friend said that no one moved. It was just dead silent there at Southern. 1,500 students. No, I mean, no offense to the guy, but remember, like my friend said, he preached, he was a bad preacher and he preached a bad message. He said it was just not good at all. And no one moved. These kids were not being coerced. Cannot convince, you cannot fool young people. They're, they're either in it or not in it. Well, now the preacher starts to get nervous. And so now he starts to give them a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more guff. He said, folks, this may be your best opportunity to be saved. If you don't stand up now and come forward, you may miss your opportunity. Now he's trying to, you know, argue with them into, this, into the decision. So come forward. Don't miss your opportunity to say yes. No one moves. We're like five minutes, six minutes into this appeal now, my friend is telling me. This guy, no one moves. So now he's really going to dig in. And he becomes a Baptist in a matter of moments. And he starts telling them how if you don't come forward, you are going to burn. I mean, he literally said that. If you don't come forward, you will burn. And, and with, but not joyfully like I just did it. Like with, you'll burn if you don't come forward. Come forward. Don't miss your opportunity. This is your last chance, he started saying. This is your last chance. 1,500 students, don't move at all. We're now 10 minutes into this appeal. He's just going and going. My friend said that his buddy sitting next to him, who you would also know, elbows him in the side. And said, hey, man, we got to go forward. <laughs> My friend said, what are you, are you being, are you, are you being convicted? You, uh, he goes, no, but if we don't go forward, this guy's never going to shut up. <laughs> we got to get to lunch. My friend's like, I'm not, I'm not going forward. I'm not, I'm not going forward. This guy now is, okay, I'm going to take a different tactic. I've, 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 I've tried to scare you into it. I've tried to yell at you into it. I've tried to coerce you into it. He starts to beg. Please, I know there's just one of you. Please, 
God's shown me there's, a, there's at least one of you that needs to come forward and, and to be saved today. And my, my friend said, his buddy says, come on, let's go. I'm not going alone. And he goes, well, you're going to have to because I'm not going with you. And my buddy says, told him. About 12, 15 minutes into this thing, my buddy says, his friend said, I can't take this anymore. And he jumps up and he's all the way, say if you've been to Southern's uh, campus, he said he's, he was sitting about five rows from the back. He's all the way towards the back. He said a few rows in front of him, there was this like just freshman like sitting there like half asleep with his head down. And he said his friend grabbed this freshman by the shirt, yanked him out of the aisle and shoved him forward and they both went forward together. He wasn't gonna go alone. And the preacher said, see, I knew there was someone that needed Jesus in here. And went on his way, closed it up and everyone got to go have their pasta. Folks, let's not try to coerce people into this thing. Let's not try to, to force them in. Nathaniel says, is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? Well, let me tell you, you better come and you better see because if you do not, you're going to burn forever or you're going to be lost forever. You better come right now. He just says, why don't you just come and see for yourself? Listen to what Ellen White says about this. She said, Philip did not try to combat his prejudice and unbelief. He said, come and see. And then she says this, this was wise for as soon as Nathanael saw Jesus, he was convinced that Philip was right. Folks, what a lesson for us. We don't need to argue people in. We don't need to try to, try to convince people to, to do things. We don't, if, if someone doesn't see our point of view right in the moment, we don't need to, to force that issue. We don't need to force that issue. Because I believe with all my heart, and I hope you do as well, that if someone encounters Jesus, truly encounters Jesus, they're going to have an awful hard time resisting his appeal and his love and his mercy and his grace. They can resist our argument. They may come forward so they can get to pasta. But, but, but when Jesus appeals to that heart, they will come forward. We, we need to be mindful of this because so often whether it be in coming to Jesus or even in showing some of our truths, rather than just presenting our truths, we, we want to, to correct everything about those people in the same moment. Another quick story. I was pastoring in Georgia, and I was there in Georgia, and I was after the church service, I was standing in the middle aisle talking to some people, and there was this guy that had been attending our church. He was about 28 years old or so. He'd only been attending for uh, a couple months, no Adventist background, no Christian background, uh, but was coming to our church. I'd played golf with him, was a pretty good golfer, and nice guy, nice enough guy. Well, all of a sudden, I see him being dragged back into the, into the church by one of our deacons. And he dra he's dragging this guy back into the, the church. This deacon has a hold of him. And, and, and I look at him, I'm like, what is going on here? Did, did something happen? Did you do something wrong? What's, what's, what's taking place? And the deacon said to me, Pastor, I think you, you want to talk to, uh, and he said the gentleman's name, I think you want to talk to this gentleman. I said, why? He said, well, he was just walking out of the church, and as he was leaving, he said to me, hey, I'll see you later. I got to go mow my lawn. And he said, so you, you want to talk to him, right? And the guy's looking at me like, what? And I, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, sir. Enjoy mowing your lawn. God bless you. <laughs> the deacon was stunned. What? what? Folks, 
It's not the time. We don't argue. We don't try to coerce. Simply come and see. We keep bringing, we keep bringing them to Jesus. We keep introducing them to Jesus, and Jesus works at that. We keep presenting these truths, and, and Jesus does the work. Jesus convicts the heart. The Holy Spirit does that. Ellen White said, Philip did not try to combat his prejudice or his unbelief. He simply said, come and see. This was wise for as soon as Nathanael saw Jesus, he was convinced that Philip was right. You have to see Jesus in order to be convinced that we are right or that this, the message we teach is right. There are lessons from this text Jesus, one of the lessons is that we see clearly is that Jesus reaches people without involving us. Jesus just himself sometimes directly goes to a heart. But more often than not, Jesus wants to use you to reach someone uh, near you. More often than not, Jesus wants to use you to reach someone. We start with someone closest to us, whether a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a coworker. We don't, we don't argue, we invite and allow Jesus, we allow the Holy Spirit to, to remove the barriers, to remove the blinders to certain prejudices or certain unbeliefs, trusting that when they truly meet Jesus, they will see what is right and what is wrong. Come and see. I believe it is our responsibility and our privilege to be a Philip and an Andrew. That is my interpretation of this passage, but I have no authority, and so I want to quote someone who has more authority than I do. Our work is to say, this is from Ellen White, our work is to say, as did Philip, come and see. Then she says, we hold no doctrine that we wish to hide, and then she makes a few comments about how we'll receive opposition to certain doctrines that we may face. But she concludes with this comment, yet we must say to these people, Come and see. She says, God requires us to proclaim the truth and let it discover error. The truth exposes error. Not you, not me, not us convincing or arguing. The truth exposes it. God requires us, not as a duty unto salvation. We should just pause real quick and say that. to Maybe anybody here that struggles with, with, oh, is this another work that I have to do in order to be saved? We should remind Ourselves, and we should remind us what the scripture says that the Bible tells us that, that we are not saved by works so that no man can boast. We're not saved by works. We're saved by the, by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We're saved because Jesus did the work that we could not do for ourselves. So no matter who we are and no matter what our sins are, Jesus did the work and he is the one that provides salvation. So what does this mean then that we are required to do it? It means basically that it is our responsibility. When we become, when we come into relationship with Jesus, we take on a responsibility and that responsibility is to be an ambassador, to be witnesses, to be inviters for Jesus Christ. It's one of our responsibilities. It's like when I got married, when I got married, I took on the responsibility that someday I would have children and I would have to change diapers. That's part of a marriage requirement. Some of you men may not know that, but that is part of the marriage requirement. I did not know that fully, but, I, but I, no one said to me like, hey, uh, no one's, no, I, didn't, I didn't really feel like I had the option not to do it. Why? That was just part of the task of being married and having Kids, there are certain responsibilities that we take on. There are requirements even, and yet we don't, we don't begrudge anyone for giving those to us because that's part of the journey of that relationship. Part of the journey of the relationship with Jesus Christ is that we become invitees into environments in which people may connect 
with Jesus Christ. God requires us, not as a duty of salvation, but as a response to our work. As a response to our work. Come and see. Come and see. An invitation to invite others is our role that Jesus asks or requires of us to extend as part of the salvation process in another's life. An invitation still works. Some people don't think invitations to spiritual things still work. Statistics, some statistics I want to give you, not from the days of Jesus, statistics not from the days of of Ellen White, not even from 10 years ago, recent, very recent statistics. I want to give you some some stats. 82%, listen to this stat, 82% of unchurched people are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they are invited. 82%. Of unchurched people. A study included, that's from Dr. Tom Rainer, a study including more than 15,000 adults revealed that about two thirds are willing to receive information about a local church from a family member, there you go, someone close to you, and 56% are willing to receive it from a friend or a neighbor. Philip Nation says the message is clear that the unchurched are open to conversations about church. So the unchurched, 82%. Two-thirds are, are, are willing, according to one say 82%, according to another say two-thirds are willing to receive an invitation to learn more about a local church. What about our inactive members or those members that, 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 that are no longer engaged in church life or have wandered away from their relationship with Jesus? Listen to this. 4% of formerly churched, or as they call it, de-churched adults are actively looking for a church to attend regularly other than their previous church. 4% of those that have left, left a, a church are actively looking to attend another church. 6% would prefer to resume attending regularly in the same church they had attended if they receive an invitation. So 10% there are of, of, the, of the inactive or the de-churched are looking for uh, actively looking to attend another church if they'll just receive an invitation. The largest group, listen to this, the largest group, 62%, is not actively looking, but they indicate that they would be open to the idea of attending church regularly once again if invited. 82% of the unchurched say, we're open to attending church if we receive an invitation. 72% of the of the inactive members say, if we received an invitation back to church, we would, we would may, likely probably go and check it out. Younger adults, listen to this, a lot of us have, have friends and have, have family members that, 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 that are younger that have left the church. Grandparents are worried and parents are worried. Younger adults that used to attend church are even more influenced by the power of the invitation. Approximately 60% of those 18 to 35, those who are in the age range of 18 to 35, would consider returning to church if someone they knew asked them to come back. 60% of those in the 18 to 35 range said, I would probably go back to a church if someone I knew just asked me to come back. Folk, there are plenty of people out there to come back to a church. There are plenty of people to come and see for the first time. 
The U.S. church is in a general state of decline, according to one study, with fewer than 20% regularly attending church. Now, fewer than 26 20% of Americans regularly attending church. Now, I know that, that other studies say, well, our, we're, we're still 70% Christian nation and all of this, but, but this is not speaking of, of people that say, yes, I believe in Jesus, or yes, I believe in God, or yes, I consider myself a Christian. This is talking about people who are actively engaged in a, a church community, engaged in the Christian life and lifestyle. It says that tw- only 20% are regularly attending church. This suggests they say in their study that 7.9 million people may be leaving churches annually. That's 150,000 a week. 150,000 a week. And it is no different, folks, in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination. Joe Kidder and others have studied, and more than 50% of our churches, actually closer to 68% of our churches, are plateaued or declining. Plateaued or declining. So our churches are, people are leaving. People are leaving. There's plenty of people to say, come and see. Come and see. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. Thank you, Dick, for reading our scripture this morning. We had you climb these stairs for two verses, but we're grateful for it. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus talking to his followers. And Jesus said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are what? Few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Which leads me to the saddest statistic that I think I have ever read in my life, honestly. I just read this for the first time, I believe, this week. Remember, 82% of unchurched people say, if I was invited, I would likely attend church. 72% of those, especially of our young people, a large percentage of that being our young people, say that have, that have been, attended church growing up but then left, say, I would go if, I would likely go if someone simply asked me back. So 82% of the unchurched, 72% of the dechurched. So think of that harvest field and now listen to this statistic. According to surveys of thousands of churches, only 2% of church members report inviting a person to church. 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation to an individual in a given year. 82% of those who have never, who have not grown up hearing about Jesus say, you know what, I'd be willing to go if someone would invite me. 72% of those that grew up but said, you know what, somewhere along the way I just, it just didn't make sense to me or I got burned out or someone was unkind to me, I've left. Both sides, all these people. I would go though probably if someone I knew invited me. Both the unchurched said if someone, remember, 56%. If my family member invited me or if a friend invited me, I would likely go. Two-thirds if a family member, 56% if a friend or neighbor invited me. The the inactives, I would likely go, 72%. And yet, Christians report on themselves that only 2% of them even extend one invitation 
in a given year. Is that not the saddest statistic? I mean, that breaks my heart because what it truly shows is that even though Jesus said a couple thousand years ago, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, he may say this in this day and age, the harvest is beyond plentiful. And I don't even know where the laborers are at. 2% of my church is active in inviting someone to an event, to a Christian event. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are minuscule. So my question is, will you be a worker? We have our evangelistic series coming up. But not just for the evangelistic series. I think we need to get beyond just saying, okay, I'm going to invite to the evangelistic series. We need to make it a practice to invite on a regular basis in all situations, in all scenarios. Elmer, we have the 5K. Elmer and Barbara, we have the 5K coming up in just um, less than a, or about a month. Why can't we invite people to that? We have, yes, our evangelistic series coming up. We can invite people to that. We can invite people to church week in and week out. Hey, I'm going to church this week. You want to go with me? No, thanks. Okay, I'll see you next week. Hey, I'm going to church this week. You want to go with me? No, thanks. Okay, no problem. Hey, I'm going to church this week. You want to go with me? Yeah, maybe I'll go. You keep bothering me. Three time, third time's a charm. I guess I'll go with you. I don't know about you, but Jesus, I know, personally appealed to my heart three different times before I said yes to him. I know that for a fact. We just don't know. But we just make it a habit out of inviting. Invite, invite, invite. The workers, the, la- the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are so, so very few. So will you be a worker? Will you be a laborer for the harvest? Will you invite? No argument, no coercion, no trying to give an immediate Bible study and converting them right there. Just come and see. Come and see. So let's end with a story. As many of you know, I was driving across country a couple weeks ago. We had a camper, we had, or we have a trailer out in California, and Christine and I were going to sell it and buy a new one out here, and as we looked at the finances, we decided, you know what, we should probably just bring our trailer across the country. That will probably be more cost efficient. Ha ha, fool on us. Uh, when your spindle breaks and your axle, you know, your wheel starts to fall off and your axle collapses in the middle of Arizona, it actually costs a bit of money to bring it across country too, besides the gas. So we, so we were pulling, I, I was pulling it, Christine and the kids were still in California, they flew out later, but I was pulling the trailer across country and at six o'clock on, on the Monday evening, uh, my bearings overheated, snapped my spindle and that was the end of that. Luckily, I was only four miles outside of the wonderful little town of Holbrook, Arizona. And I was there from Monday night at 6 p.m. until Wednesday night at 5.30 p.m. I spent 47 and a half hours in Holbrook. And I think that's about all you can spend in Holbrook, I'll be honest with you. I'd been there once before, but I can guarantee you I didn't spend 47 and a half hours there. But while they were working on the trailer, while they were getting the trailer all fixed, I decided to make good use of my time, and I knew that we had a school there in Holbrook, a, a, a mission school for our Native Americans. It's called the Holbrook Indian School, and so I decided to go and check it out. I Googled it and found it uh, on, on, the, on the Google Maps, and I drove out to it, and I got there, and I pulled in, and I got out of my car, and there was a guy sweeping the, the walkways, and, and 
had a tool belt and was work, doing some work. And I walked up to him and I asked him uh, if he minded. I told him who I was and I asked him if he minded if I, took, if I walked around and looked at the school and the property a bit. And he said, well, actually, let me take you. I'm the principal. And you're a principal of a boarding academy. You're the jack of all trades, probably even other academies too, but for those boarding academies especially. And so he took me on this tour around the Holbrook Indian School and, and you know, just pray for Holbrook. Uh, they are a true mission field. I mean, they have 1% of their student body are, are Adventists or Christians even. 1% of their student body, and yet in the last five years, they baptized 35 uh, of their young people, amen? And, and they are, they board, they're a first grade through 12th grade, and they board first graders. First graders are boarding students at their academy, it's an intense place, and there, there's a lot of help needed, and, and maybe someday down the road we can partner with them on some sort of domestic uh, mission trip for, for our church and for our young people. There's great needs there, and, and they were talking to me about a lot of stuff. But we were going around, and as we were going around, he was showing me different things and telling me about the history of the school and, and, and telling me about some of the challenges they faced. And we came across this lady. We came across this one lady, and he said, oh, let me introduce you, Pastor, to, to one of our three uh, full-blooded Navajo staff members. I, I had known the other two. I had heard of the other two. I'd seen them actually in videos. And I knew that they'd gone to school there and then they had ended up going to college and coming back and working there at the academy. And so when I met her, I said, oh, did you go to school here also? And she said, oh, no, 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 I, I, I wasn't an Adventist. I said, so then how did you become connected to, to Adventist or how did you become connected to the school? She said, well, I was very interested in spiritual things, and I would go to see the medicine man. These are her, her exact words. I would go to see the medicine man at the community center on the reservation. And one time I was there, and my friend said to me, you are so interested in spiritual things, you should, these are her words, you should come and see some meetings that I'm going to. She said, so I went. And she said, and then I went back, and I took all my family with me. And we all liked it very much. And then, she said, the next day, the medicine man came to see us. And he told us to stay away from those people because he said he, was, he, said he was shown they are full of evil spirits. She said, so I was told to stay away. She said, but I knew that they were saying, what they were saying was truth. She told me the rest of her story, and I thanked her for sharing with me. And as we walked away, this is what really struck me. As we walked away, the principal said to me, the principal of the school said to me, her family back on the reservation is in constant crisis. She's, he said, this lady is a prayer warrior. She is constantly in prayer for them because of alcohol and health issues and family members literally being killed on the reservation in disputes or feuds between different families and things. And as he said that, in my mind, I thought about the contrast between her life at Holbrook Indian School and what her life would have been if she had not had a friend who simply said to her, you're interested. Why don't you come and see what I've been doing? Why don't you come and see Simple invitations can change lives for eternity. Who is the person 
that you will approach in the days ahead, whether for our evangelistic meetings or a 5K or a health seminar or a church service or a Bible study, who is the person that you will approach and simply say, come and see, come and see. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Let those words not be true of Spencerville Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. We thank you for your call to each one of us to be laborers in your field. Jesus, we see how really simple it can be in many ways. Go to the people we know. Invite. Don't argue. Let your Holy Spirit do the work. Lord, help us to be laborers for you. In your name we pray, amen.